I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast. If you're new around here, I'm a late bloomer who discovered the power of goals in his mid-30s. Now I'm on a furious mission to create the accelerators I wish I had in my 20s. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today we're talking about five weird decisions that make my marriage awesome. I've been married to Jenny for almost 23 years. Our anniversary is in April, almost 23 years. If you're married or would like to be someday, you are going to love this episode. It's almost Valentine's Day, or it was just Valentine's Day, but you like to listen to this podcast on the weekends, a few days after each episode drops. I don't know if you observe the holiday. Are we calling Valentine's Day a holiday now at this point? I feel like we probably are. Jenny and I personally, we have a chocolate fountain that we run all week on the kitchen table in preparation for this magical day. I also write her a um, 17 page handwritten letter expressing the depth of my love. I, I personally use a quill because feathers express love better um, than pins. And then I carefully arrange the petals of 1000 roses throughout our house in geometric patterns because I'm an amazing, amazing husband. Okay. I, I don't do any of that, but it, it sure feels like people on Instagram do. Just when you've gotten over the creative pressure of Elf on the shelf, like just when you finally put that Elf away in the North Pole, you have to fire up your imagination for Valentine's Day. That's a, a lot of pressure. Jenny and I actually keep it pretty low key for Valentine's Day. We're also not big like birthday people. We're not big anniversaries. We'll move our birthdays. I, I think that's always two different types of people. Like there's one group of people that are like, the day is the day is the day. Like the birthday is only on this exact day. 
we'll kind of move it around and be like, hey, um, your birthday's on a Tuesday this year and you're going to be out of town. So we'll celebrate it on Friday. And, and nobody's like, I can't. It feels different. Not, it's not my actual day. So we, we move holidays around at our whim. Um, we make the holiday work for us. We don't work for the holiday, so to speak. But we don't really get that crazy about Valentine's Day. But there are five weird decisions that have made our marriage awesome. And so I thought, this is close to Valentine's Day. Let's do a relationship episode. I'm going to tell you the decisions over the years that have made our marriage awesome. Decision number one, we went to counseling. That's decision number one. We went to counseling. Now, counseling isn't weird now. In 2024, it's not that weird. Everyone does it. Your dog probably has a therapist. Like right now, your dog is seeing somebody and that person has a sound machine. You know you're at a therapist's office, by the way, when there's just a like collection of sound machines going at different volumes all throughout the hall. But when Jenny and I started counseling in 2023, there were a lot less folks going. I mean, 20 years ago, if you told a neighbor, say you're at the pool and you tell a neighbor like, yeah, yeah, we're going to see a counselor. They would automatically say, oh, oh, no, what what happened? Was it gambling or porn? I'm kidding. It's never gambling. Back in the day, people thought counseling was only for fixing massive emergencies. What we learned, though, Ginny and I, is that talking to a professional can actually make your marriage awesome. For instance, we learned how to communicate with each other. I will never forget when our counselor, Jeff, a guy named Jeff Pipe, said, John and Ginny, it seems like you both have tremendous insight into John. And that was his polite counseling way of saying, John, shut up. You're not leaving any room in this marriage for Jenny. And he was right. If Jenny and I had a conversation, I would use 10,000 words and barely come up for air. What a knucklehead. Counseling helped that a lot. Now, if you've never gone to counseling, whether it's individual or couple, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. When you're new to counseling, two things are going to happen. There's two things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to expect them to answer every question you have. I remember early on going, here's the three questions. Like, we're definitely getting some answers for these three questions. And then lo and behold, when we left, I felt like we didn't have the exact answer and we had other questions to think about. So don't go in going, here's the three exact things, because it's going to go in different places than you thought. The second thing that happens is when you go to counseling, you come home and expect to have deep heart-to-heart conversations with everyone who's not gone to counseling. So like you go to lunch with a friend and you're like, hey, how are things with your father? How, how are your childhood wounds? And he's like, we, we haven't seen each other in like a month. I, I, I asked you like, what kind of coffee do you like? And you said, my dad didn't hug me enough. So expect to be like, over emotional in some of your conversations after you first start going to counseling. And eventually you'll learn like, oh, I don't have to talk that way with other people. I don't have to judge people who haven't gone to counseling. That's the other thing that happens. Like sometimes people who go to counseling get a little judgy. They're like, oh, these these friends have never gone to counseling. They don't understand the depths that I've gone to. That's what happens. But I would say decision number one for Jenny and I that made our marriage awesome was going to counseling. Decision number two, We listen to each other's gut checks. We listen to each other's gut checks. I wish that I could go back in time and tell the 25-year-old version of myself, hey, 
when Jenny tells you that business partner seems shady and might not have your best in mind, please, please listen to her. Like, go ahead and give that a listen. Go ahead. You know what? Don't just listen. Believe her when she says that. I can't begin to tell you how often Jenny has said, hey, there's something off about that person. And then a month later, six months later, maybe years later, she's right. We've learned over the years as a couple to listen to each other's gut checks, even if, and this is the weird part, even if there's no evidence that anything is a foul at first. It takes time. But in a good marriage, you learn to trust the other person's discernment. It can be awkward. It, I get it. It can be. It can be awkward to end relationships, friendships, business deals, social situations when your spouse throws the gut check flag, but it's worth it. And, and this is, again, about discernment. It's not about fear. It's about discernment and going, hey, I see something I don't think you're seeing right now. Here's what I see. And then trusting your spouse. Decision number three. That's really made our marriage awesome. We had our kids early. We had our kids early. This decision is getting weirder and weirder every day as other generations delay having their kids until their late 30s and 40s. I feel like DINKS, which is double income, no kids. That's the acronym. I didn't make it up. It's not the best acronym. I'm just telling you what the people on the internet are saying. I feel like double income, no kids get all the attention online, but I am here to shout from the rooftops that having your kids early is a blast. First of all, you're already poor and you might as well add a kid or two to the mix. They can't tell you don't have any money. My two daughters had no idea that their Christmas presents came from a church consignment sale because we couldn't afford new ones. They didn't know we were camping because we couldn't afford a hotel anywhere. We would do overnight camping because it was like $11 a night. And we were like, we could swing that. We got, a, I mean, it's not a, not a ton of money, but we got $11. Go ahead and have the kids. Second of all, you've got maximum energy to mix it up with them when you're young. Like 28 year old me was king of the playground with my kids. 48 year old me often wonders, what was that sound my knee just made? Like, what was, what's going on there? And the third reason I think it's fantastic to have kids early is you get to be empty nesters together in such a fun way. Our youngest daughter graduates from high school this year. That means at 46 and 48, we're about to enter into a brand new phase of life. If you don't feel ready to have kids yet, like maybe you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh, I don't know. That sounds crazy. I'm not ready. Welcome to the party. No one is ever ready. I've never met somebody that said, yeah, I finally figured out how to raise kids and now I'm ready. I passed a test. I read enough books. I'm now officially ready. There's no perfect time. Don't get me wrong. There's no perfect time to have kids. And some people do both. I mean, I have friends in their 40s with toddlers and teenagers. I have friends whose first kid came when they were 43, 45, 46, and they are loving it. I just know what's popular right now. And we did the opposite, which is a little weird, but it was awesome for us. It was awesome for us. Decision number four, we don't hang out with couples who don't like each other. Decision number four that's made our marriage awesome. We don't hang out with couples who don't like each other. It's always sad when you meet another couple who doesn't like each other. And boy, oh boy, you can pick up on that right away. See previous statement about gut checks. That's why the other day, so just as an example, the other day we ran into our friends Susan and Charlie on a hiking trail that we were on. We have a river in our neighborhood. It's amazing. We hike it all the time. 
And we ran into Susan and Charlie back there when Jenny and I were on a walk. And we both said when we got home, they sure do like each other. I love that they like each other. And that's not a given, unfortunately, in a lot of marriages. So what are some signs that couples like each other? Well, sign number one, they pal around. Charlie and Susan were doing what Jenny and I were doing, which is hiking. And they were hiking just because. So the first sign that a couple likes each other is they do a lot of things together just because. Couples who like each other also laugh a lot. They have a thousand private jokes between each other and they can tease without it becoming mean. I think that's one of the saddest parts to me of divorce is when somebody's married for 20 years and then they get a divorce and they lose access to those 20 years of shared memories. They lose access to those 20 years of shared private jokes that won't make sense to anyone on the planet, but to your spouse, oh, they know exactly what you're talking about. They, they know exactly what you're talking about. And they can tease each other again without it becoming mean. Couples who like each other spend time together and joke together because they want to, not because they have to. What's funny is that occasionally you'll go to a dinner with a, a couple, like some friends from your town a few times because you think your spouse likes them. So internally you're thinking, I can't stand these people. Ugh, I can't stand these people. But, but, but I'll do it because my husband likes them. And then one day out of the blue, as you drive home from a, a, di a dinner with him, he'll say, hey, do we, do we have to go to dinner with them again? I know you like them. I know. But I do not. And you'll immediately say, wait a second. Wait, wait. I was doing that for you. Wait, we both don't like them? Hooray. We don't have to keep doing that. Why is that a weird decision? It's a weird decision because most couples don't put enough effort into finding couple friends and tend to settle. They end up hanging out with people who don't inspire them, don't encourage them, and don't make them laugh because that's the best of what's around. It's not easy to find good couple friends. It's not, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It might take a little work, but there are awesome couples out there that you can hang out with. And the fifth decision that has made our marriage awesome is we say how and wow a lot. God bless John Woodall. John Woodall, a leader in Atlanta, taught us that in every marriage, there is a how person and a wow person. When we lived in Atlanta, we heard him share this idea. And it's been probably 15 or 16 years now, and we still talk about it. So here's what he means. It's a simple framework. He said, the wow person comes up with a great new idea that they're excited about. And when they share it with their how spouse, the how spouse asks questions like, well, how will that work? How will that make money? How will we have the time to do that? And the wow person in that moment feels attacked and they, they shut down. The how person didn't mean it as an attack. They were just using their personal strength. They're great at asking how questions. That's their ability. And they don't understand how it turned into a fight. And so John Woodall said the solution is twofold. Number one, the wow person makes a disclaimer while sharing the new dream. So the wow person in, in our marriage, I'm the wow person, says something like, hey, I'm not about to sell our house. I'm not about to quit my job or radically change our lives. I'm not about to blow up anything. I just have an idea that I'm excited about and I'd love to share it with you. You're my favorite person to share ideas with. Can I bounce this off you? That's what the wow person does. The how person, all they do is say wow for two weeks. So when a wow spouse shares an idea, you go, wow, that sounds, that sounds great. Wow, wow, wow. For two weeks, 
at the end of the two weeks, if the wow person is still talking about the idea, which by the way, they won't be, the how person transitions into how. Then they start asking how. What often happens is two weeks later, when you bring up that idea to your wow spouse, they won't even remember the idea. They won't even remember what you're talking about. It's funny, I adapted this idea um, with my assistant. I have an assistant who's amazing. We've worked together for eight years. And it took me so long to realize that when we have a phone call meeting, I need to say, hey, try this idea or help me with this idea, but put it in the seven-day window. Seven-day window. What's the seven-day window? It means just write it down, but don't do anything about it until seven days later. And seven days later, ask me like, hey, do you still want me to do that? You still want me to get that URL registered? You still want me to follow up with that person? You still want to do that lunch with that contact? Because 90% of the time I go, no, I don't know. Let's not do that. No, I don't know why I even said that. I was just excited. I was just kind of talking out loud. Don't do that. But again, if you say wow for two weeks, at the end of the two weeks, when you go to your wow spouse and go, hey, do you want to talk about this idea more? They'll go, what, what are you talking about? I've moved on to 42 other ideas. It's so simple. It's so powerful. And again, I'm the wow person in our marriage. Jenny is how, and this principle has saved us from 1,000 arguments. Those five decisions are a little unusual, but keep in mind, what's usual in our current culture? Divorce. That's what's usual. If normal is divorced, I'm all about being weird. So those are the five things that we do, the five decisions. Decision number one, we went to counseling. Worth its weight in gold. Decision number two, we listened to each other's gut checks. Decision three, we had our kids early. Not everybody needs to. By all means. And I should say very clearly, if you're not having kids right now because you can't have kids, that wasn't about that conversation. I would never say, why aren't you just having kids already? Not at all. I have great empathy for anyone that's saying, yeah, John, no, duh. We've tried for six years. It's not happening. I have so many friends who have a story like that. So if you're trying and it's really challenging, please, 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 please. Don't take anything out of me saying, hey, I think it's awesome to have kids early. Decision number four, we don't hang out with couples who don't like each other. We try to figure that out quickly and then we're like, all right, we're out. And decision number five, we say wow and how a lot. That's what we say a lot. So if you want to be weird this year with someone you love, read a book together. Read a book together. I wrote a brand new book called All It Takes Is a Goal that will give you and your spouse an amazing shared vision for what's possible next. Few things unite a couple like a goal they can work on together. Pick up a copy anywhere books are sold. I read the audio book. So if you like audio and you probably do because you're listening to a podcast, check out the book. Here's to a happy Valentine's Day. I've got to go get that chocolate fountain out of the attic and see if I can find my quill. Wow, amazing, amazing husband. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you write are super encouraging. Here's one that I recently saw from Doug and Leslie Davis. I love it. A couple review on an episode where I talk about being a couple. So well-timed. The title was Where Messy Middles Meet Motivation. John Acuff, the maestro of motivation, doesn't just talk the talk. He sambas down the sidewalk of life, urging you to embrace your goals and dance through your challenges. All it takes is a goal is like having your own personal cheerleader in podcast form. I love that. Samba's down the sidewalk of life. I'll take it, Doug and Leslie. Thank you for writing that. Make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking.